Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it is we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. Good evening and welcome to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Breakfast Club. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Totally. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Good morning. Tonight, we have a special guest, Ken's angel of a daughter, Katie. Hello. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Do that again. Hello. <laughs> uh, so we are talking about The Breakfast Club. How are you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Awesome. Better now that I have a Diet Coke. Nice. Did you know that Diet Coke has caffeine in it? I do now. Oh, there you go. The Breakfast Club comes to us as one of our fan picks. It was put into our uh, fan selection by Tatiana. And she said that this was a fun movie for her growing up. She really loved it. And she threw it in the hat. Well, thank you, Tatiana. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as I heard that, I knew that Katie would want to have everything to do with this because Katie loves this movie. It's probably probably her top, in her top ten. It's probably top five or top three even. What? Yeah. I that, want I want to know why does Katie like this movie? I just, it's so there's something for everybody in it, right? Uh, I think that whoever watches it, you everyone. Well, it might not appeal to people who haven't gone through high school. That would be my only thing I would say, but. Anyone who's gone through high school can definitely identify with at least one of the characters in some small way. So you feel like you're seeing yourself being represented as a time where you're struggling. And then they get through it and they come together. You said top three. What are the other, to- uh, what are the other two? Uh, the other two are probably Little Miss Sunshine, which I really love. That was one of the first movies that made me laugh out loud really hard. Um, and then Step Brothers, probably. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I just watched that recently. It's so funny. It is funny. It's, it's probably so one of the funny. funniest comedies in the last 20 years. It's so funny. I love Step Brothers. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's probably 100%. my top three right now. So yeah. if someone wanted to submit that one for us to review, yeah, that would be a great idea, it's, Ronnie. So back to what Katie said about the movie being relatable. I think that's one of the strong, one of the strong characteristics of this movie is how well you are able to have just about anybody watch this movie and you can relate to some degree to one of these five characters or even the sixth character, if you will, of Vernon indirectly. I don't think people would want to relate themselves to him. But, you know, one of these five boxes, definitely everybody probably has at some time or another felt something that one of these five characters felt during high school. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that... Um, you know, this movie came out, you know, when we were all able to go see it in the theater, except Katie, you know, you weren't born yet. 
yet this movie still relates to kids today. That's just amazing to me. It's timeless. These problems are the exact same. Um, I, the other thing I wanted to say about why this movie is so amazing is it's incredible what they can do with such a simple set and costume design. It's mm-hmm. in one room the whole time. I mean, you have the other hallway scenes. But it's just like if if you look at like any Marvel movie today, geez, Louise, are those over the top. And it's like Breakfast Club is just so simple. You bring up a great point, too. And you can look at each of the characters just by their costumes and identify which clique they fall into. Yeah. And it was done very deliberately, mm-hmm. right? And, yes. th- and that's what you're supposed to see. Yes. And And what goes along with that is if you're going to have a film – or if you're going to tell a story in one location, the writing better be solid. Because mm-hmm. if the writing isn't solid, you're not going to care. And fortunately for John Hughes, uh, The Breakfast Club is some of the, it's timeless. Like you said, Katie, it, it's timeless writing. And mm-hmm. going back and watching it today, does it completely hold up? Well, no, we, we do live in a different day and age uh, than we did in 1985. But the core of it okay. and the heart of it, very much does hold up and is still an outstanding film. And the point that you bring up about timeless writing, he wrote this in two days, which is just amazing. That's that, nuts. That still it lives up today. But there was a lot of ad-libbing that we'll talk about later that went on during this movie. Judd Nelson alone ad-libbed a lot of his parts, and it's amazing how it came out. The Breakfast Club, released on February 15th, 1985. It was directed by John Hughes. It was written by John Hughes. And it stars Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. Five high school students meet and discover how they have a lot more in common than they thought. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, This movie was made for $1 million, and it brought in $52 million. Respectable in 1985. Oh, absolutely. And John Hughes had, I mean, this was kind of, um, I don't know if it was in the middle of his rise or, or maybe sort of the beginning of it you have 16 candles weird science ferris bueller's day off he wrote uh planes trains automobiles uh he wrote uh, uh, home alone uncle buck yeah and they go on and on and on john hughes was a staple of the 1980s and very much a storyteller for the time and he made Shermer Shermer Illinois famous. That doesn't even exist. It doesn't even exist. Yeah. You know where he got Shermer from? Uh, I feel like I do, but I can't recall. It is the street he grew up on. Oh, maybe I didn't know that. I think it was Shermer <laughs> Boulevard, I believe, he grew up on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this was Shermer High School, correct? Yes. Yep. And this is nineteen eighty five. Yep. And well, it takes place in nineteen eighty four. Yes. And then and then the following year, who is in Shermer High School? Uh, that would be Ferris. So Vernon is the vice principal. So and Rooney, Rooney is, is the, the principal. principal. <laughs> yep. There you go. The John Hughes universe. On Saturday, March 24th, 1984, five students at the fictional Shermer High School report at 7 a.m. for an all-day detention. Each come from a different clique. Claire Standish, snobbish and extremely popular, Brian Johnson, a brainiac, Andrew Clark, a jock on the wrestling team, John Bender, a rebellious teen, and Allison Reynolds, an introverted outcast. They gather in the school library where the vice principal, Richard Vernon, instructs them not to talk, move from their seats, 
or sleep until they are released at 4 p.m. He also assigns them a thousand word essay in which each must describe who you think you are. He leaves, returning only occasionally to check on them. So immediately from the start, um, I think the Simple Minds tune, uh, which has become, you know, as soon as you hear this song, you think the breakfast club how can you not right and i think when that song comes on it immediately grabs you and then we're uh we're giving a quote by david bowie and then uh we're introduced to our characters a great piece of trivia about that simple mind song you know the part where they get to where it goes la 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 that was actually in there as filler because the uh, lead singer didn't like the song. He didn't even want to do the song, so he put that in there, figuring he'd come back later and add words. And I guess everybody else just loved it, so they left it in. I what, think I what, heard that. What actually. were the words again? La 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 la. la. Man, just no, that, that, that's spot, not how it goes. Spot on. It's like no, I heard if something. I close my eyes, I hear the song. No, I heard something about the artist not wanting to do. We that do song. not want to lose listeners having them hear me sing. Well, I don't know. I think they'd laugh. I don't know. I, I I could be wrong. How does it go, Don? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not the singer of the bunch. Oh, I think do you that's mean the professor. Hey, 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 and not la la la. No, no, it's no. the laws. La 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 la. I don't know. How yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's totally. The wow, song. there it was all over again. It took me back to the Breakfast Club. Oh my god. Now, there back, we go. There back we sit. to the beginning of this movie, though. This movie within two minutes. Uh, does something that you know a lot of movies take like 20 30 minutes to do they introduce us to all of the characters exactly who they are we know who they are including vernon all within that first two minutes either you know just by the dress by having the parents the way the parents address them when they're dropping them off and you know the way that even just they go and they sit down in their general areas i think the other thing i really liked about the beginning of this movie is after the song ends and everyone's sitting down and vernon's coming in it's silent did you guys notice that and i love it yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, you're in detention. It's heavy. So well, everybody's feeling awkward. Yeah. 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 But you, like I was saying, though, but like you can get the point without them even saying a word. You know who the brain is. You know who the jock is. You know who the misfits are. Yeah. And just immediately, they don't even have to say a word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did you see the license plate number for uh, Brian's car? What was it? it EMC squared. Oh, EMC two. Yeah. Do you know whose BMW that was that pulled up? John yep. Hughes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was John Hughes's actual car. Yeah, so having uh, each one of these characters come in the way that they do, we also get a glimpse into their personal lives with their parents. We start out with uh, with Brian, and it, it's Brian first, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Brian and his... Oh, no, it's Princess first. I'm sorry. It's Claire oh, first. Oh, you're right. It is. Claire than Brian. And, and, and so dad is doting, but she's completely... Uh, wanting nothing to do with him, rolling her eyes twice. And then when Brian comes in, his mother is scolding him for, for not, you know, finding a, finding how he's going to be able to study, just figure out a way. And then uh, we have the, the dad scolding Andy about his, you know, messing up his scholarship. And then we have Bender walking, and he's the only one that doesn't get dropped in, dropped off, right? We, that says we a see, lot. We, we see we see he is by himself and then lastly then we have uh, uh allison coming in in a cadillac yeah and both parents 
both parents and wanting nothing to do with her. Right. She gets out and she's looking for, you know, the acknowledgement or looking for them to say bye, have a nice day, whatever, show that they give a shit. And they don't. They take off and she's just kind of left there. Well, the first, so immediately here are our characters. Yeah, the first thing that we're seeing and what they bring up later is they all have those uh, similar disconnects with their parents. Claire's upset with her dad because he just gives her everything. He just is, you know, using her basically trying to, you know, pay her off to get, you know, a little happiness out of her. Uh, Brian, you know, and I thought this was interesting too in a filming technique style. And I've heard this, that when John Hughes is old school in his filming techniques, he always puts characters on the left who are the weaker characters and the dominant characters on the right. So you notice all the students when they're being dropped off are sitting on the left side and the more dominant characters are on the right side. So even in and or in uh, Brian's car, where his sister is sitting in the middle, she even tells him off. You know, yeah, you better. You know, kind of thing where she's kind of even dominating because she's sitting to the right of him. So I thought that was kind of interesting that we're seeing these disconnects early on in the movie. They bring it up later that they all don't get along with their parents. They all have issues and similar issues. Yeah, and this technique and the way that John Hughes is doing this is part of that introduc- uh, introducing us to our characters. Uh, everything we need to know in like the first two minutes, like you were saying. Yeah. So it's all these little things that he's using um, to, to move us along with our characters. Another unwritten thing that's happening here is each one of these students... They're putting, if you will, their armor on for the day. Right? Oh, absolutely! They, they got to put themselves together, and they got to they got to buck up, and they're going to go and they're going to spend the day with people that they don't know and they don't want to be here, and and they want nothing to do with any of this. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And you can all see, you know, in each way, each one is a little bit beat down, a little one issues. You know, even Bender, who shows up alone, he has no support because he has an abusive home life. You know, so he shows up by himself, walks in front of the car, the car that almost hits him, and he barely flinches like he just doesn't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he figured they'd stop. And if you're Bender, I guess I'd have to ask myself, why even show up? Yeah. yeah. Well, there is a good reason for that. And I'll bring that up a little bit later. Um, that he didn't want to be home. Yeah. That's what it, I thought. It's exactly uh, Katie's point. Oh, I guess that, that makes sense. Yeah. He that, doesn't want to be home. School for him at this point is the safe place. Yeah. Yeah. He can get away yeah. from his abusive home. And, oh, I see and there's a theory go. out there that one of the reasons later on when he's getting all those extra detentions and he's arguing with Vernon, he wants those extra detentions. And he's the only one that looks comfortable being there. Yeah. Right? He comes in, Brian's sitting in the chair. No, get out of the chair. And then he instantly swings both chairs sideways. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's already used to yeah. being here. Yeah. Well, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. It's a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there he all congregate in the library and now we are introduced to vernon uh paul gleason who plays a wonderful bad guy or just kind of that guy you don't like he plays a dick he is a dick yes he does wait i have a quick question back to the characters i meant to ask this is bender's gray strip of hair intentional i have never heard anything about that one way or the other Because i did think it was peculiar it was a pretty big strand right in the front he's in high school yeah, I got a better question. Who cares? I do. It's like, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. Say, I have a better thing is she's going to flick that pen. It's going to drive you crazy. Sorry. Yeah, well, quit <laughs> flicking the pen. Sorry. And no, it's okay. You know, I don't. We all do. I'm usually the one doing it. I don't think I've ever noticed a gray strip in his hair. And I've seen the movie a thousand times. What? 
It's yeah. a big fat strip right in the front. What? I am blind though. He, so you know, I did. Credit. I did notice no kids that did have like a little bit of white in their hair that they were just born with. So I think he actually has that in his hair. And oh, I'm gonna go ahead okay. and pretend that this last two minutes didn't exist. But you Sorry. bring up you bring up a good point. If in actually in his wardrobe, in that you notice, you know, all of them were wearing kind of normal outfits. He was wearing that trench coat with the glasses. He seems like he's the most shielded character. That, oh, you know, that's an interesting that, that's like, you know, as you brought up armor and all that, you know, he's the one who's got the most to keep down, sure. to keep hidden. He showed up wearing that same outfit for his audition. And while he was waiting for the audition, he was being cantankerous and unruly. And the, uh, the receptionist ends up calling security to escort him out. And security is coming off of the elevator, walking towards him when he gets called into the audition. Yeah. So he got saved at the last moment. I have heard he is a method actor and that when he takes a role, he stays in that character 24 hours. So much so that during the filming of this, he was a bully to everybody, especially Molly Ringwald on set to the point where John Hughes said after this movie was made, he would never work with him again. Molly Ringwald tried to get him fired at a couple points during the filming of this, but she says as soon as the filming was done, he changed, he became the nice, friendly guy, and she realized he was just method acting, and he became a good friend of hers. Yeah, well, it it fucking worked, and it shows. So you have Judd Nelson, Emilio Estevez, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, and Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, This is around the time where the Brat Pack was introduced to the world. What do you think of Emilio Estevez as the jock? Emilio Estevez, I thought, played a confident, cocky kid that uh, is, he, he's a pretty boy. You know, his hair was was perfectly coiffed, and he definitely came across as a stereotypical jock that I would encounter at high uh, school. Absolutely, he looked like 100%. he was wearing makeup. Like, his face was so perfect. Yeah. An interesting point is that he came in and auditioned for the part of Bender. He mm-hmm. wanted to because he's coming oh. off of many roles where he played the uh, criminal type character. If you looked at like his role in Outsiders, you know he always played the nasty type gang member or criminal. Or the, and so this is the first time he had played like a jock type role. And I thought he did fantastic. They all kind of came in for different roles. Uh, originally, Molly Ringwald was supposed to be Ali Sheedy's character, but she really wanted to be Claire. So it's just kind of interesting how they all kind of, you know, and in the past, if you look at Molly Ringwald's roles before that, she was always the outside character. Look at her in Pretty in Pink. She was the outside kind of nerd. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall had kind of played some nerd roles, but all, you know, like in 16 Candles, he was kind of popular in that one. So it's kind of interesting how they all had had different roles and John Hughes put them into specifically roles that they had not played. Anthony Michael Hall always played the nerd. Not in 16, well, 16 Candles. Remember, he was kind of popular. No. When was the last time no. you've seen no. 16 Candles? No. He wasn't. Like, everybody no. Was, he, was, he was. He had a following. Those two guys are following him around affectionately everywhere. king of the geeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he was, he's always a nerd. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, yeah. We just proved it. At yeah. the end of Weird Science, he's not necessarily, but. No, he's still a nerd. No, yeah. But he's nerd. just more of a popular nerd. I just don't yeah. agree with you that he was, he was, you know. Directly in, he might have been more geeky, but what's the difference? He wasn't a nerd. If you were ever a nerd, you'd know. I was just well, say, that well that like th- that goes to show you or something. <laughs> yeah, no, Anthony Michael Hall, unfortunately, until Johnny B. Good plays the same character okay. all the time. What did you think of Andy? 
uh estevez yeah i think he's a fine actor um back then uh he was in like you said the outsiders which is one of my favorite movies uh red dawn no he's not in red dawn i guess more um, to the point of what did you think of andy not emilio oh as the jock yeah he was a typical high school jock did you have that kind of guy when you were in high school we had a thousand thousands of those guys Mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely i'd ask katie but i went to all girls high school yeah so did you have the jock type at the all girls school not well you could tell who played sports so yes so yes although i was just gonna say i feel like they could have gotten someone better to play the jock i don't think he was the so who you don't you didn't like emilio he was okay i just thought they could have gotten someone better like who I don't know. I need to think about it. I don't have <laughs> I'm shocked if you head. would know any of the actors from that time. Uh, I mean, it's easy to recast it now, what right? About but the if guy, Rob Lowe. Rob Interesting. Lowe. He's kind of a pretty boy. Or mm-hmm. the best friend from Ferris Bueller. He's kind of pretty and he's Alan tall. Rook. He's too timid. I could see Charlie Sheen taking it. Yeah, maybe. Oh, One of well, yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. Isn't he older though? I think he comes across as older, like he, I, in like in Ferris. Well, I think he, he's the older brother of Emilio. Yeah, so yeah. I think anyway. he is older. He is. Now, I do want to ask a question. Since you went to an all girls high school, did you see the similar cliques as there were? Oh, in this totally. Movie? We had every click in the book. We had a Satanist click. Satanist we had every click. click under the sun, and, wow. and under that dome. And it was very distinct. Like you knew who was friends with who, and it was by the way everyone dressed. It was very like you could tell. Okay, so l- let me ask you this real quick. When was the first time you've seen this movie? Mm, probably like se- it was the the it's um <laughs> nervous. <laughs> One of the quotes from this movie I used is my eighth grade quote in the eighth grade yearbook. So I probably saw it in seventh grade. Okay, that, so that's pretty young. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, your I don't care. Would let you watch a rated R movie. Oh, totally. Your, I need to talk to your parent. Yeah, no shit. What the Why fuck just happened? Would that be okay? That is crazy talk. Crazy talk. Uh, so since the seventh grade, how many times do you think you've seen it? Three. Really? Yeah. Really? I don't watch it that much. I was really excited to watch it. And I watch movies and shows that I've seen. I don't like watching new stuff. Okay, so wait. Let me, let, let me get this straight. Just, <laughs> just so I understand. You've seen this movie three times, and this is your probably your third favorite film of all time. I don't like to watch like the top three over and over again. I'm, no, 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 I, I, no. I'm not. I'm not asking what? that. I'm just saying that's correct, yeah, right? Yeah, Let me three jump. Or four times. That's impressive. I got to throw but. out though. Breakfast Club is one of those movies that you see it and you think about it and you talk about it. And maybe you don't run out and see it right away again, or you kind of wait to see it again, but you appreciate it. And the next time you see it you appreciate it just as much as the first time you saw it. So I don't think you have to see it multiple times or see it all the time for it to be like a favorite movie, but it's just such a well movie that sticks with you that it can still be your favorite movie only if you can, even if you've only seen it a couple times because the next time you see it, you're going to love it as just as much. I feel like you should give me your rating right there. I don't think so. Oh, yeah. I you think you should give me your rating and we'll cut that I and just, then we'll get there. Cause he loves on this podcast to say, I don't want to need to see that again, but I give it a five. <laughs> <laughs> like, what does that mean? Oh, my God. Oh, well, I know thank you, I Katie. Like, thank, the, you, thank you. Thank you. The numbers are wow. a little bit confusing. That's hilarious. I, I got to admit, that stung a little. 
sorry. <laughs> no, it's I'm true. I'm just confused by the rating she's, system. I'm not saying she's wrong. Uh, but yeah, Don, you've just made his day. Oh my gosh. You should see the smile on my face, listeners. Can I just say happy birthday, Don? Oh, there you go. Oh, that, that oh, completely yeah, yeah, made yeah. my day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. John Bender ignores Vernon's rules and riles up the other students. He spends most of his time bullying and harassing Claire, Brian, and Andrew. They all eventually feel sorry for him after seeing how he deals with abusive adults like Vernon, who gives John eight additional weekends worth of detentions and eventually locks him in a storage closet, which Bender escapes and returns to the library. The students then pass the time by talking, arguing, at one point, smoking the marijuana. Gradually, they open up and reveal their secrets. Clara has many experiences of peer pressure due to her popularity. John comes from an abusive household. Allison is a compulsive liar who dreams of running away from home. Andrew cannot think for himself due to his controlling father. And Brian contemplates suicide over a failing grade. They discover that they all have poor relationships with their parents. Claire's parents use her to get back at each other during arguments. John's parents physically and verbally abuse him. Allison's parents are neglectful. Andrew's father pushes him to the limit to succeed, especially in wrestling. And Brian's parents pressure him to earn the highest grades possible. They all realize that, despite their differences, they face similar problems. An interesting part about Bender, and you know, I was watching some reviews and doing some research on this, and I have to agree with the idea that for Bender, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, the school and the detentions are his way to escape. It's his safe place, and his confrontations with Vernon are stealing his safe place, especially when he goes to that closet and Vernon goes to fake hit him. You can see the, you know, the shock and, you know, just remorse in, or not shock, but the, uh, the scared look in Bender's face in that he's just realized that he's not safe at home and now he's no longer safe at school. And so they have stolen his safe place. And that almost changes that character right there. It kind of transitions into you know, he needs to find some support at that point. Yeah, you can tell that he's already lived through that type of uh, agony, that type of horror someplace else, most likely at home. He, the, the look of fear in his eyes as Vernon is laying into him verbally. Yeah, and, and Vernon is your typical um, alpha male, um, king shit of the playground type of teacher. Right. And he's not going to be made to look bad or look foolish in front of the other kids. And um, Bender has no problem with it. One of my favorite parts of this film is when he's handing out the detentions. I laugh every single time I watch that scene. You want another? Yes. Are you through? No. And he just keeps going and going. And And I like the moment where he looks at Claire and Claire says, knock it off. Right. But that just that fuels him now he wants to show off in front of her and he does it and then the bit about he goes well i don't know how many is that and oh, then brian pops in that's well, eight that's eight counting the one where you asked it was little, seven it was seven including the one from this little, morning for the barry manilow rating is now it's eight 
Oh, no, no, sir. It's seven. Shut up, Pee-wee. His little tidbits in this film are my favorite thing. There's that other one where he's talking to the the character, Bender's talking to the characters, and he's like, what clubs are you guys in? And then you hear Brian, "Um, the physics club, the the math math club. club. And then it's like, no one's listening to him, but he's still talking. I'm sorry. What were you saying? Well, I I was saying I was in the physics club. And what do you do in the physics club? We talk about physics <laughs> i'm like yeah what did you expect the answer yeah. was so you <laughs> what so is it's it kind of social in a, a sad, sad demented kind of way but still social yeah so ma- uh, many memorable quotes mm-hmm. from this film you uh, know uh where john hughes got his inspiration for vernon from uh, a teacher in high school Ooh. yes his, his a wrestling coach in high school who failed him in gym <sighs> I can see that. What a dick. Yeah. I got the impression, and Carl the janitor brings it up kind of later, is that Vernon, first of all, thought going into this position that it would be a position of respect, that the kids would show him respect and be in awe of him, as well as he did it to have the summers off. And when he learned he actually had to work and put in effort, he became very bitter about it. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And takes that out on the kids. Oh, yeah. One other last point about the uh, the high school coach. So John Hughes runs into the coach later on in life, and oh yeah, and you see, yeah, that was a good movie. Except that that teacher, he was a real jerk. Oh, that must have been the best moment of John Hughes' life. It must have been very satisfying. That must have been totally awesome. One more thing I wanted to say about the uh, teacher is: Did anyone notice his sexy calendar? Oh gosh, yeah. What is that mechanic? That was that, hilarious. The, the mechanics. It was like a rigid calendar. No, oh, it was I, like I a missed bi- it. It was like a big. Bi- I see. I knew no one saw it. Um, I, I saw it. No, there was like a, a blonde lady in a bikini or something mm-hmm. on a beach, and it was it was just really funny. Are you familiar with the style of of yeah yeah? yeah it's up there on what is it doing on in a, a, a school. school wall? I know. Need, uh, need I remind you, people? Different time. It was 1984. Yeah. So, yeah. One of those things that probably doesn't hold up today if this movie gets remade. Mm-hmm. Speaking of oh, Carl. Oh, there's a lot of things that wouldn't oh, hold yeah. up. Yeah, true that. Yeah. But the heart and the core, yeah. I would hope to stay the same. Go on. So, having uh, having the, uh, the seven or the eight detentions, however you want to stack it up, you know, as soon as he leaves... That really is a satisfying fuck you he gives when the door slams. Oh, I love, I love that when the, the music effects. builds yeah. and yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, Bender had some of the best lines I feel like in the whole movie, you know, like when Vernon's trying to prop the door open and I think creating a fire hazard would be dangerous at this point in your career. And, dick. And dick and yeah, just show dick some respect. Yeah. But, you know, and I guess a lot of his lines, a lot of things he said, including, uh, was it Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby? Mm-hmm. Those lines were all ad-libbed by Judd. Yeah. When he, uh, when he spits the loogie up in the air, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, originally done during, uh, they were doing a read-through, and uh, John Hughes watches, uh, uh, he watches uh, 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 Judd Nelson do that. He's like, mm-hmm. can you do that again? all day long how many of you have tried it and so after he did it again uh when he did it for for the production molly ringwald she hadn't seen it before and the disgust on her face is what made cues keep it in the film yeah Mm -hmm. and you can tell she is utterly disgusted by that it is disgusting Yeah. yeah have you ever tried it i have not because i know exactly how the outcome would go what about you no 
Never oh, have. and then spit would land on your face. Oh, yeah. What about you? Have you I've tried it? I've never tried it. Oh, well. well have you? Oh, yeah. Let's not, it's not as hard as it looks. We, oh. we got a what time. Let's try it now. I will bring up the fact of when uh, Allison's character is doing the drawing and then it starts snowing. That apparently was Parmesan cheese. Yes, I, I read Oh, not that. her dandruff. That it was is not her dandruff. Not the her other dandruff. people, the other actress, actors and actresses, they thought that it was actually her dandruff. But no, it was Parmesan cheese. Uh, and um, the joke that Bender was telling when he was crawling through the thing, he ad-libbed that. He made it up because they couldn't come up with a joke. It was supposed to end with the punchline being a pencil, but he couldn't think of a joke. So they just, yeah, there is no actual punchline to that joke. So we're introduced to our characters. Uh, what do you guys think of the lunch scene? I thought lunch was hilarious. First of all, he comes in and they're all asleep, right? And what did he say? He said, don't fall asleep. And then he says, wake up. And, you know, nobody moves. Somebody and, need to use the restroom. And then all their hands go up. Yeah, it's a classic scene. Um, but the lunches. So you have Claire with the sushi. That was her idea, actually. Molly Ringwald's idea. They were trying to come up with a way to portray that she was kind of this I, outsider. I thought it was early she's. Was it? I, I'd heard it was one of their ideas. And that uh, at that time, sushi wasn't as popular as it was. So it was kind of mm. seen as a rich person's thing. I so, laughed so hard when Lynn Bender, when she was like, can I eat now? And he goes... I don't know. You can try. Yeah. There's something I laughed so hard. Although I was thinking about how that raw fish must have been sitting in her bag for at least four hours. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. I was like, too. you cannot be eating that. That's Maybe funny. she had a cooler. Yeah, she'll, put, she'll put that in her mouth. Yeah. The little yeah. board was so extra too. I'm like, you do not need that little wooden plank to eat that. It was hilarious. And then you have uh, Emilio Estevez's... Uh, gargantuan milk too. gargantuan lunch right three sandwiches right. brian has soup cookies um the milk yep allison's oh, sandwich allison's. banana that was her idea to put the Captain apple crunch into that because she wanted the crunch on the microphone yeah and she actually did put pixie sticks on the sandwich and ate it just like that oh i have no so doubt in my mind that gross. she did yeah. so, so when they uh when uh allison and andy are walking to get the sodas we finally hear allison talk not not yell out but talk it's 33 minutes into the movie and she says her first line of dialogue yeah, yeah. but do you notice too the first time she even made that huh, sound earlier on claire everyone says, shut up yeah they turn around they tell her to shut up and she hasn't spoken the whole movie yeah and and completely in character and you buy it and she's the basket case right um so her and Emilio are walking down to get the soft drinks and they start talking about what you're uh, you know, what's your poison? And she says, vodka. And what does he say? Uh, when do you drink vodka? And she's like, whenever. So this just kind of goes in plain into her character of being this compulsive liar that we will find out later that she is. This was the only scene I think that I felt the dialogue wasn't that great. When she asked him <laughs> why you, why you're here. And he gives that spiel that she basically says at the end of it, why don't you tell me why you're really here now? That one just felt so forced, so fake, and so like like he was reading the dialogue at that point. So that was the only one I thought, and I understand because she even called him out on it, and that's kind of the whole reason for it. But that just dialogue didn't work for me in that part. Oh, you like that? I thought it was fine. The way he delivered it was he was being elusive. He didn't he didn't want to open up to her. He was just uh, beating around the bush. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't feel like he was reading it. I don't think, yeah. I don't feel like any of these characters were ever just reading any lines. I think that, uh, they put a lot into it and this scene, it's a kind of a throwaway scene, 
right? It's just to get us out of the library and break up the, the scene change a little bit. I thought the dialogue was fine. Well, I just feel like, you know, I've known a lot of jocks and I feel like none of them would ever sit there and say, well, I'm more powerful than most people. And so I'm expected to a higher degree. And that they wouldn't say it like that. Well, apparently John Hughes thought they did. And last time I checked. I know the script was written that way. Yeah. So I'm sorry you had a problem with it. It doesn't really matter. Okay. <laughs> so we're back in the library, and we have the other three sitting around talking, and we have Bender that's gradually tearing up, destroying that book as he small talks with them. Yeah. And what I really enjoyed about that, what followed immediately afterwards, when he grabs a card catalog uh, drawer, and he grabs a big old stack of cards and i'm thinking that there are librarians that are watching the movie for the first time and their brains must be melting watching him just grabbing these random cards and just shoving them back into random places inside the drawers uh chronology of cards yeah so he's sitting there uh craving attention and he's ripping the book and i love uh what does he say he says uh oh yeah and more yay well, really well, yeah, yeah. Uh, really pumps my nag and then claire corrects him i love that moment when and, she corrects him and do you hear the little uh french musical score behind it mm-hmm. when it when she says it yeah so i think that's the first <laughs> moment he thought i might want to kiss this girl yeah i think you're right and brian even reads, I, I love his work yeah oh my god <laughs> brian yeah yeah and then is is it right after this where brian alludes that he had sex oh i love that yeah i think it's right after that first we are confronted with is um claire that that she's gonna that that she's gonna uh, be a fat person yeah i I think she has a fat person's name yeah Yeah. well there are two kinds of people Bender always pushing the envelope. Always so funny though. Yeah, you get the impression right away from him is that when people start understanding him or getting close to him, he's gotta just tear them down to push them away. Yeah. So every time he starts being nice and kind of warming up to people, he's gotta say something nasty like that. Yeah, because he doesn't really what he really craves is affection and belonging, but he's scared because he's never had it. Mm-hmm. And the people that he's supposed to get it from uh, don't give it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he doesn't know what healthy looks like. Yeah. So he's very much a damaged individual. Kind of to go back a point, um, I thought it was interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you both know this. All three of you know this, that the the library scene was actually filmed in a gym. They rebuilt that whole library inside of a gym in the high school. It was a uh, a closed high school that they filmed this in. And I guess... The Chicago Public Library donated over 10,000 books for the filming of this. Yeah. Wow. So I thought that was just really convenient that they were able to do that and to build it. And I thought it looked like a library. In fact, I thought it was one of the most impressive high school libraries I've ever seen. That's what I thought as soon as I watched it. I'm like, wow, what fucking school has this kind of fucking library? Yeah. And that big sculpture in the middle. Yeah. The blue neon light going around. Yeah. yeah it looked like a uni- It looked more like Western's library, which is very yeah. impressive. Not and, a high school library. And, and it has uh, an audio room. <laughs> <laughs> So we get to see Andy's lunch. You know, uh, what do we have here? Is this milk? Soup. 
Then, That's Brian. And, and oh, Brian's lunch, yeah. And then, and then that big old smack of the hand. I love that big old smack of his hand. And oh, the, that was funny. And this goes into Bender's impersonation of a life at Brian's house, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which then turns into uh, an, um, uh, an impression of life at his house. And, you know, Andrew doesn't believe him at first, and then we get the, the cigar burn on him, and... And then we get to that classic memorable line, right? Uh, Go get me a turkey pot pie, bitch. But dad, what about you? Fuck you. No, dad, what about you? Fuck you. No, dad, what about you? Fuck you. There you go. Uh, My mom's going to hate that. Oh, and I'm leaving it in, too. Sorry, mom. It's during this time that I was noticing that probably 90% of the time that the camera pans, it is panning to Bender. Mm-hmm. And we have a few shots with Andy, but but it's about, you know, who is dominating the scene. And almost always it's Bender that dominates the scenes. And the camera only seems to move, like I said, probably 90% of the time for him. It never moves for the girls. This is off topic, but did it... You know, Carl, the janitor. Mm-hmm. What was the relationship between him and Brian? I couldn't get that. They, they made, just, he, they yeah. Pretty, uh, Brian probably just knows him. There was an edited scene that actually showed a little bit more of their relationship. Uh, Carl, the janitor, is the one that found the flare gun oh. that went off in his locker and had to deal with it. And he actually confronted Brian. Oh, so okay. that's how Brian and Carl, the janitor. I was actually going to bring up, is this the section where we get Carl, the janitor's first introduction where he comes in yeah. and they ask him, you know, how does someone become a janitor? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought that was just the, the interaction, just showing you know him talking about it. Uh, Carl talking about it was just a great way to sh- you know show him a little respect, even if he's got you know this lowly position. You know he's a guy who deserves just as much respect as all of them. Yeah, and see, I didn't I didn't need that deleted scene to tell me that Brian is the type of student that would know a janitor's name. Mm-hmm. I mean, I oh, I, yeah. I, I completely friendly. bought that. Yeah, yeah, they're friendly, see each other in the hall, right? And that's why that's why he's kind of embarrassed about it too, right? Because he doesn't want to look like a schmutz in front of all these kids. Uh, do you notice Carl's picture on the plaque in the opening? Yep. No. Yes, he he is <laughs> at, the, at the beginning of the the beginning montage, looking at all the stills around. There is a close up of Man of the Year, and he is front and center. Carl, Carl the janitor, awesome. now, with, with a bunch of hair. There is all. Oh. There's of course a lot of deleted scenes in this movie. Um, I guess the Criterion Collection collects them all, as well as YouTube. You can find them. There is one scene out there <laughs> where Carl the janitor. Uh, actually predicts, like he goes off on the kids and he predicts where they will all be in five years. He predicts that uh, Bender will have killed himself. Claire will have two boob jobs and a facelift. Brian will become very successful but die of a heart attack due to the stress of his high-paying job. Allison will become a great poet, but nobody will care. And then she will just marry and have a bunch of kids. And Andrew will marry a gorgeous airline stewardess. But because his athletic career never worked out, will be working at a used car dealership and his wife will become fat. It's just a depressing outtake. So I'm kind of glad they cut a lot of these deleted scenes. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess at the time it makes sense. And... You know, Carl has opin- his opinions, um, but I agree with you that these are these are scenes that we don't need. And the what I really um, was surprised about this movie, uh, having it watched it recently, is only an hour and a half. 
It's so it, short. And it's paced very well. Yeah. You know, it's paced like a school day. Um, after lunch, uh, we get the whole bit where the con- uh, when Bender and uh, Bender gets escorted out and taken to, you know, where he's locked in uh, the the closet. Um, so that's kind of like the mid midday um, midday p- portion of the day, and so it, it moves very much like a a school day. So I, I, I remember um, thinking, well, I didn't think it was an hour and a half. So that was crazy. We got to talk about one of my favorite lines in this movie. Before Bender gets escorted to the closet that he gets put into, uh, Vernon asks him, what would he do if his, like, if his pot was on fire? And I love the comment of, that's impossible. It's in Johnson's shorts. I <laughs> was really hoping he was going to make a joke about smoking it. Yeah, that, that and right? the the look on Anthony Michael Hall's face. Um, oh yeah, he's like, "Holy shit! Did he just really say that?" Yeah. You know, and uh, so they take off and they go uh, running around the the fucking school, and you have a Wang Chung song going on, and mm-hmm. and it's shot really well. How Vernon doesn't see them, I'll never know. But whatever, I'm going along for the ride, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, they get. Uh, and this is a moment too when they they run into the where it's locked off, and uh, Bender's like shit, and Andrew's like good job, and Claire sticks up for Bender at this moment because Bender told him not to go that right. Way. He said he wanted to go the other way, and they didn't want to listen. They so. stuck up for him first thing out of the gate. What was up with that? Why they all chose to stick up for Bender and not turn him in for the screw incident? Uh, because oh. they're showing their solidarity against the authority. They all have a... Uh, and, and Vernon is probably considered to be the greater evil, but yeah, so... Nobody wants to be the snitch. Plus, yeah. this, the way this movie is set up is it's actually set up to be like almost like a prison drama. They are in a prison work camp in that here is the Gestapo, who is Vernon, and the rest of them are all doing hard time. You know, they're even given a job, a project that they're supposed to do. You'll notice when they're running around the hallways, what do they come up to that stops them, but almost like prison bars. So it's just another way of showing that they're in prison for this Saturday. Trivia. How many bags does Bender have to discard before he gets to his weed? I thought it was like three or four. Three. It is three bags. Three bags. I, I like the little. It was to cover up the smell. I like the little guillotine that comes down, especially after Carl had just given his diatribe that I go through your lockers. Yeah, and did you see Bender's uh, face light up? Like, mm-hmm. oh shit! The yeah. other, the other locker we see at the beginning with all the shit laying on the floor. Oh yeah, what was that all about? That was Brian's locker where the flare went off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. So he gets locked up and then he escapes and they all reconvene in the library and Bender wants his weed. And so he goes in the back and Andrew's really reluctant. He doesn't want to do it at first. Before that, before that real quick, the scene where he falls through the ceiling and hides under the desk and Vernon comes in. Mm -hmm. Molly Ringwald was 16 at that time. So when he put his head between her legs. (gasps) How old was he? 23. He's 23. That was not her. That was actually a stunt double because her mom was not having that. Um, There was nothing, anything that was sexual in that movie, she had a stunt double for. Even the kiss? The kiss, I think she might have actually done. Yeah, when he put his head, I was mortified. Any like touching or anything like that, that the mom, her mom would not let her do. Judd Nelson had to read uh, many of his lines to Claire's double because Claire was 
as you said, 16 and she was spending time in school. So they had to edit around that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, only her and I think Mike, Michael Anthony Hall were high school age when this film was made. So now that you've interrupted my flow for that awesome tidbit, where were we? Don't you feel better? <laughs> Does it look like I feel better? Well, oh, you were talking about them smoking the marijuana. But, oh, that's right. Okay. So, but you jump past the, the, the basketball scene. Yeah, you're, I you're jumping be an ahead. airborne ranger. Oh, did anyone else think what, whose shoe was that that he left? It was probably just one of those random shoes that you see in a gym. Mm-hmm. Absolutely oh, for I sure. See How so many, many times? Of those. You've never seen a random shoe. There were random shoes in our gym no, all what? the time. Yes, Who all the time. All the time. We come from a different era. Yeah, clearly. And yeah. they sent out a whole email to my whole school, and they're like, "Who is this Cinderella who left her high heel at the shoe?" And it was me. I yep. remember reading it. I'm like, "Who left their shoe?" And I'm like. Oh my god! And th- and this is going to come in later when we do, uh, you know, tell each other which characters we were. Um, so yeah, they got they get roadblocked, and then uh, Bender says, "I'm going to take one for the team," and he runs off and starts singing his Airborne Ranger song, and he gets caught in the gym, and uh, the others get away, and then so Vernon finds him in the gym. Did anyone else think? I need to stop asking. Did anyone else think this? Um, how tall he was because he was able to dunk. Or it was a shorter hoop. Oh, you're really putting him down there, aren't you? Well, I don't know. How tall is Judd Nelson? I thought it emphasized how tall he was, but maybe you know, it was and a the movie, hoop. The movies tell me that white men can't jump, so. Do, do you feel good about yourself? Huh? Just tearing her down like that? Just feel good about yourself? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, just, I call it common sense. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know what you call it. I don't know what anyway, you call it. so now that we've actually gotten up to... The marijuana scene. Would you like to talk about what you were going to say? No, because I, I forgot. You guys cut me off on my flow. He, he is, you know, just had a birthday, so he's getting a little older. You know, mind starts going a little. Yeah, he's getting all older. Fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you. Oh. You're cool, and fuck you too. Okay, so <laughs> hey, speaking of pot, this is where they start uh, smoking, and Andrew doesn't want to smoke pot at first right but molly ringwald's the first one up and out and i feel like brian's never done it and he's really curious about it that's yeah. why he keeps looking and then he goes and they all kind of join uh but did you notice that ali Sheedy never smokes pop she's oh, the only I was one gonna ask if she did or not yeah, she's the only one in there that i can see i know that doesn't that doesn't partake the interesting thing i read about this scene is that john hughes had them all ad-lib their stories when they all sit around, they tell their tragic tales mm. of why they're there. They all made them up from their own life experiences. Yeah. Which I Pretty thought good. was one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah. Chaos. Anarchy for an editor. Yeah. The editor for this movie was uh, was Dee Dee Allen. And uh, she was on set a lot, constantly, almost daily, talking to John Hughes about what was going on how was it progressing where was the story going how were these characters to be interacting with each other because it can be chaos if you have too much going on that's ad lib because if it doesn't match the script then it's going to be impossible to edit but um john hughes he he was born under a lucky star because he got a, a hugely seasoned editor um and Dee Dee Allen, she she did Reds. Uh, she did what else did she do? She um, oh Dog Day Afternoon, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. 
Okay. I couldn't find my paper. Yeah, gotta be a little careful. The hustler. So he he was he was born under a lucky star to be assigned Dee Dee Allen since this was only his second movie. But she was on set a lot to help with that style of shooting because it it can be a bear, especially when dialogue is happening off screen. So in, during that that circle when they're all pressing Claire about is she a virgin or not, and you know it, it, it's that kind of off screen dialoguing that editors hate. It, it's it, it it's bedlam and so you know it 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 works for this movie though but um it, it's definitely a, a strong point to the movie there is a scene that happens around this time that john hughes has said is pretty much one of the most scene one of the scenes he regrets most putting in a movie do you know what that scene is is it the one where emilio estevez is Yes. He screams and the yes. glass, glass breaks. breaks. He regrets that scene. He wishes he never put that in the movie. It doesn't make any sense. Even the way he's acting it's after the- smoking weed does not make any sense. Is he smoking crack? Is he smoking um, meth? He has a lot of fucking energy. Well, the funny thing, too, is that originally it was only supposed to be Molly Ringwald that dances, and she was too embarrassed to dance alone, so all the other actors decided to dance as well. So that whole scene, too, with him dancing, you know, going through the hallways and all that, that was all him. That was just him yeah, ad-libbing it. Yeah, kind of random. Yeah. I mean, I like that scene. I like the, the fact that they all kind of bond over music, and they just kind of let themselves uh, go at that moment. Yeah, it's taking uh, their armor off. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. exactly. You're taking your armor off. Um, but, but again, you can kind of see even from their dance styles who they are and which group they fall into. Each student then confesses why they are in detention. Andrew taped another student's butt cheeks together using athletic tape because he felt he had not cut loose on anyone in high school like his domineering father had. Brian left a flare gun in his locker, which went off accidentally, destroying a ceramic elephant lamp he had made for shop class. Vernon subsequently found the flare gun. Allison admitted she didn't do anything, yet showed up anyway for the lack of anything better to do. Claire mentions peer pressure to go along with what her friends want to do. At the start of the film, Claire's father stated through dialogue that she is in detention due to skipping class to go shopping. Vernon had earlier stated that John was in detention for pulling a false fire alarm. Claire gives Allison a makeover, which sparks romantic interest from Andrew. Claire decides to break her pristine, innocent appearance by kissing John, although suspecting their new relationship will end when detention is over. They believe their mutual experiences will change the way they look at their peers. As the detention nears its end, the group requests that Brian complete the essay for everyone and John returns to the storage closet. Brian leaves the essay in the library for Vernon to read after they leave. As the students part way, Allison and Andrew kiss, as do Claire and John. Allison rips Andrew's state championship patch from his jacket to keep. Claire gives John one of her diamond earrings, which he wears. Vernon reads the essay, in which Brian states that Vernon has already judged who they are using stereotypes and that he is crazy if he thinks that they'll tell them who they are. Brian correspondingly states, each one of us is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? He signs off the essay with, sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. John is last seen raising his fist while walking through an empty football field. End movie. 
some what? of the things that um you know were good there's good and bad in the scene i loved like we said earlier the scene we're all sitting around and they were telling their stories just the raw emotion in all of their stories especially brian's about how he, you know, he can't have a failing grade. He just cannot have it. He can't have it. His parents can't have it. You know, it just the raw. I thought they all showed their acting chops here. This was just so well done. Ali Sheedy has actually said that she regrets doing this. The scene where she gets the makeover mm-hmm. and then gets with, you know, Andy after that, mm-hmm. in that she feels like she didn't have to change. To get his interest, to get you know any romantic attention from him, she should have been who she was. Um, now they have gone back and said the reason she, it wasn't that she had to change herself to get interest from him. It was more of this is who she really wanted to be when she was not being you know ignored and left alone. She wanted to have friends. She wanted to be this more brighter colored person. It just that she was so you know ignored and depressed that she was kind of in this gloomy state. So Claire helped bring out the real her, but Ali she Chidi feels like she changed her to become someone different. Well, see, I don't think that's it at all. I think that she lets uh, uh, Molly Ringwald do this to her because Molly Ringwald is being nice to her. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think after she goes home, I think she goes right back to being who she was. Now there is, I haven't seen it, but there is supposedly a deleted scene out there where Andy actually shows some romantic interest in her before she gets the makeover. And that's one of the things that prompts the makeover. So I kind of wish that this, in this uh, instance, they would have left that in. I think he starts to show romantic feelings uh, right before this scene when uh, they're talking about what's in his wallet and it's him, Brian, and Allison. Uh, and then, you know, she dumps all of her shit out all over the uh, the table. I think it's there that they, he starts to think, well, maybe I do want to kiss this girl. When he, when he gets tried to get her to talk about what's going on with her? Yeah. I mean, yeah. when they're all sitting there, yeah. I felt like too when they did her makeup, they kept all the characters seemed to keep saying, I'm like so far from the microphone, they seemed to keep saying, "Oh, we can see your eyes now." So it wasn't even that she like put on makeup; it was just that she wasn't so covered they could actually look at her for who she her, who she really was. Yeah. So uh, I love Brian's whole when she's walking by and she's look she looks at him and she goes, "What?" and he goes, "Wow." Oh, I love that. Oh, the other thing. Oh, I'll say that later. Uh, and and you notice in her expression it. it when she he first looks looks at her, she's horrified. I mean, if Brian doesn't like this, then what's Andrew going to think, right? But as soon as Brian and we know from uh, as of the audience, we know Brian is like, "Wow, right?" And as soon as he conveys that on his face, uh, her her spirits lift, right? She she feels better about it. What I don't understand is how Andrew doesn't see her coming. Is he looking down? Is he looking up? I mean, she's walking right toward him, so. He was focused on the essay. No, not Brian. Andrew. How Andrew doesn't see her. Oh, family. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. So he's yeah. stoned. Maybe. I Maybe. like. I like what he says. Uh, a few minutes before that, all the stuff is dumped onto the couch, and Brian is. He leans over and he starts talking to Andy about you know how her home life is unsatisfying. Oh yeah. And I, I thought that he had a really good line that he said something to the effect of. Uh, no one's home life is well, satisfying. Well, if, if it, um, everybody's home life is unsatisfying. Oh, yeah. If it wasn't, then we'd never leave our parents. Yeah. Who said that? 
uh, Andy. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that that was a, that was a, a strong line. Yeah, that yeah. was. It's kind of relatable, right? He's trying. He's trying to relate, and Very just relatable. you know, everybody has problems, right? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest points in this movie is relating that, you know, they even say it kind of that all the kids out there kind of don't relate to their parents. They all have problems with their parents. They all have unsatisfying home lives, and you know, Ali Sheedy's character actually even brings up the fact, you know, she doesn't want to get older. She doesn't want to become adult because when you become adult, your heart dies. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing about it, and I don't think I caught it even the first couple times I saw it, is the scenes that we get to see with Vernon, especially with Carl, is almost like it's the adult view. You know, the children are, are hesitant about becoming adults. Well, this is the adult view of what's happened to them after they become adults. Basically, you know, he's looking at it as, you know, he hasn't changed, the kids have changed. Whereas the kids are worried about becoming adults and changing. So it's, you're getting to see both viewpoints, the adult view version and the kid version, and there's like a borderline between them. So there's more to the movie. I like, no, I like that. And I liked how... When he was looking at the confidential files, Carl was like, what you doing there? I, because I feel like if I was the janitor, I'd be like, I didn't see that. Because yeah. he's in a position of power at that school, and Carl challenges him. And I love that he says, well, what's it going to take to make this go away? Oh, and yeah. Carl's like, 50 bucks. And he's like, what? <laughs> right there, I think Carl has just shown you know, the vice principal who really has the power at the school. He even said it to the kids. I know everything. I'm the eyes and the ears of this school. Institution. Of this institution, and he's he's shown that he can take control. He knows everything. He's got the dirt on all of them. So really, he's at the bottom of the food chain. He's actually pretty high up. He also has a really poignant line when they're sitting there drinking their beers. What keeps me up at night is that someday these kids, they're going to be taking care of me. And then Carl comes back with, I wouldn't count on it. Yeah. Oh, I love that too. Really, really strong line. That's what keeps me up at night, knowing that one day my kids are going to have to take care of me. I don't blame you. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be worried. Especially the way you treat them. I know. You you should start being a little nicer. Who, me? Yeah, I wouldn't be in my character. So, all right. So, we, uh, Brian wants to kill himself. Andrew duct tapes, uh, someone's butt cheeks together for his old man. Allison had nothing better to do, which, you know, it, it, it kind of parallels with Bender. Bender wants to get out because of abuse. Uh, Allison wants to get out, uh, because of neglect. Did you buy her excuse so that she had nothing better to do? Yeah. Because Vernon seemed to know ahead of time. First of all, He's the guy who's running the detention. He's the vice principal. He's in charge of discipline. He would know that she didn't belong there. So from what what the little research I've done is that she's there because of lying, that she is a a constant liar. You could look at it that way. Well, that's what she is. She's a chronic liar. Yeah, she said that early on. And a klepto. She stole the switchblade. She stole his padlock. Oh, I love that scene. Oh, the the, the switchblade because the the camera is so focused on Bender, right? And then you see the hand come in uh, of the right of frame, and she has to use two hands to pull it out. And it, how does Bender not know it's gone? So great the way it de-escalates the tension that is there momentarily. Yeah, there yeah. is a scene that another deleted scene from this movie that I guess is on that Criterion Collection that she actually takes that switchblade later on and. Uh, 
Jimmy's a lock on a teacher's locker and she pulls out the Prince album that she's actually viewing in one scene later that sure. she's looking at. I think it was a Purple Rain album. It wasn't Purple Rain, but I always wondered where she got that album because her her uh, bag didn't look quite big enough to be storing yeah. that. And why would she have an album? But uh, it's another connection, kind of what I was saying earlier about kind of the connection between the kids and the adults. She, when she pulls the album out of the locker, she looks at whatever, I think she's, I think she's with Andy or one of the characters and she looks and she goes, you know what this means, don't you? And he's like, what does it mean? And she goes, they're human. I thought it was funny that Claire the whole time was talking about how her parents ignored her or whatever. And then you were mentioning when she gets dropped off, she's like rolling her eyes like, ugh, is he still talking to me? It's like, doesn't she want his attention? Yeah, maybe. I was just confused by her because she's like, well, if I didn't feel sorry for myself, who would? That line. And I was like, her parents seem to be like all over her. I got the impression from when she rolled her eyes in the beginning, it was that he, the father had just said, he'll make it up to her. And it's like she's buying her love. Oh. And she's tired of him showing this disgenuine love to her. Right. Right. I, I love what Bender says. Uh, you know, you, you want to get back at your parents. Oh, I, I am a, I am a perfectly good candidate to help with that. Mm -hmm. So... I think that goes on for a couple months or two months, and then I want to know out. when Bender put the earring in his ear. Like, did he just have a hole in his ear waiting for an earring? I think he takes one out and then puts I, I never saw him take one out. I never saw him take one out. The lightning yeah. bolt. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah. No, I think he's wearing an earring earlier in the film. Mm. All yeah, right, that's what we said. Oh, <laughs> I was looking at your wife motioning to slap you, Katie. Katie, it's okay. He, he's normally yes. a dick. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we uh, we are given the question: what What's going to happen on Monday? And oh, I'm, I love this scene. It, it it's yep. it's the most powerful uh, scene of the of the movie. And and you know, everybody is now laid bare, and they are looking at them not as stereotypes, but instead we are now looking at each each other as people that we can relate to. That that each one of them can relate to each one of those other characters. And I think it's because of this conversation that they have that come Monday, I think they do say hi to each other or at least acknowledge I do, I the existence of the other. other. Well, in a deleted scene, I'm just kidding. Oh my God, I was going to say another deleted no, scene. Thank you, Katie. That's that, what I think all the time he opens his mouth. That is the big debate though, that do you really think that they were friendly after this movie? I or like do you th think they I, went I, right back to their class? I like to think that they were. I think they were. So, well, I was going to save that for a little bit later, but I, I guess we could do it now. One month later, where do you think each one of these characters are with each other? Are are Bender and Claire still together? Yeah. No. I don't think they are. A month later? One month no. later. No, probably not. I, I, kinda, I think that lasts like a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. and, that, then, and then That's the, what I think, too. There is so off. much pressure on kids in high school. And like when we were in high school, I think she went right back to her friends and feeling the peer pressure and the clicks. I'm guessing Andrew might have been a little friendly with them. I think Ali Sheedy's character and Brian were very friendly. Definitely Brian. Um, I don't think... Bender and Andy probably got along after that. I don't think that Bender and Brian got along. You know, it'd be very hard for them. Man, you're jumping way too fast. So what about what, what about Andy and Allison? Are they together one month later? I think so. Yeah, if I she, think so. If she kind of, you know, because she... Katie, what do you think? I think, yeah. Because she, she's the type of girl that could just fall right into his clique and just be his arm candy. Out of all of these characters, I think through the rest of the school year, 
which one of these characters stays connected with each one of the others? Uh, I think it only comes down to, okay, so uh, Andrew and Allison, they're going to run into their problems and they're going to break up eventually. I think the only relationships that kind of uh, last is Brian and uh, Bender. I think every once in a while, Bender will, or Brian will say hi to Bender and Bender will acknowledge him. He'll say, okay. And every once in a while, you can probably even throw Andrew in there. If Andrew's not around his asshole friends, let's say like a James Spader from Pretty in Pink, um, he'd, he'd get a high out of him, right? But if he was around a larger group of people on all the football wrestling team, I think he kind of acknowledges him but blows him off in the same sentence i gotta think that allison and andy had the best chance of staying together and that allison was the one that was going to be friendly to all the characters she was going to be the bridge between all the characters oh i can see that too i can see allison trying to be friends with uh the rest of i them. see the same thing out of brian as well allison and brian i think uh through the end of the school year will have a relationship with each one of those characters regardless of what's going on in their lives sure i'll buy that now, something that we've talked about earlier, who do you identify most with? Which of the characters? Oh, I, I got a better game. Who do you think we identify most oh, with? Should we write this down? No, so... Uh, wait, what well, we, why don't you wait, start, so I don't no, want to start. Before we do this game. Katie, Katie should start. Oh, wait, I want to say something before we start this okay. game. Um, you know how everyone else kisses somebody except for Brian? Yeah. Did anyone pick up that Brian kissed the paper? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely. was like, that's who he's kissing. Nice catch. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he was so proud of say. it, right? That was his work. And and, yeah. and Claire kind of breaks it down for him, right? And she goes, well, you are the smartest of us. And she oh, appeases to his ego. Totally. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And but education is his love. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love and the little part. shoulder punch. And, and he made that essay his bitch. So, yeah. yeah there you go. All right, Katie. Uh, Who do I identify you guys as? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is going to be fun. Um, mm, uh, John? No. Don? Uh, it's like... Dad? <laughs> oh, my God. You're so annoying. That's okay. Professor Dad. <laughs> dad Professor. Um, I feel like you obviously are just like a wisecrack so you're kind of like bender because you like to break the rules and i feel like you want me to say that well he is kind of a criminal but i also feel like you're kind of the the jock too because you're kind of prickly versus (laughs) bender kind of engages with everybody but like the jock didn't want to and if you don't like someone you just ignore him that's that's fair yeah that's fair and then you are definitely See, I feel like he's Brian and you're Allie. So you, <laughs> so, you so I'm Allison. I'm Allison. So the professor is Allison. <laughs> like a little bit, because you just you just cracked me up, and you're like, so you know everything. That's like the opposite. I feel like of what you guys would have thought I said. I'm in the math club and the physics yeah. club. You're also maybe Brian too, because you like take notes when you watch football. Katie, who do you who do you most relate to? Probably Brian or Allie. Oh, I would say my, Brian, no. but I don't want to no, say no. I would ever kill myself. That's no. the only thing. No, 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 no. Because you're not either of those people. Oh, you think I'm you Claire. are without a hundred? <laughs> you are without a shadow of that Claire. As soon as I watched it, and I was watching it, and I look at him, I go, "Oh my God, that's Katie." And the, you know what line it was that really? Uh, what was it? 
I am so oh, popular. I, I can't okay. even your tell you how popular I am. Your daughter said that two hours ago. I go, give me three words to describe your life. And she goes, school, popular. I'm like, you're popular? She goes, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so everything about it, even the opening scene when she's trying to, uh, you know, convince her dad. I've seen you try to convince your dad of many things. A lot of true. times you are Claire, which is funny because if I had to pick your brother, he's definitely Scott Pilgrim. So I have now <laughs> casted both of you in the films that I yeah, need to. Totally. But that is not an insult to say that someone is like Claire. Claire turned out the end to be very caring, very open, and the person I think who could end up growing the most. She's so annoying. At that, but but at, notice she tries. She goes and be friendly to Allison at the end and helps Allison out. She's willing to you know relate to bender but you uh, also said that she's the first one to go back to her old I, life i do think the peer pressure could get to her right but i also think notice that when she's not around that peer pressure she's the one who can grow the most mm -hmm. she has the most potential i felt like do you feel like i'm claire too because you're my dad so you would know yes yeah okay princess there you go. Now you guys do now, And that's not wrong or bad, Katie. You I'm just are saying that's, him. that's what, that? That's just how it goes. Oh that's my just God. how it goes. That's just the, I, I will go next in that, Don, you're obviously Bender in yeah. the idea of not so much that you're a criminal, but in that racist. You can be the nicest person in the world and also just jab that knife into someone the next second. Uh you know, you have that quality of you know, I just have to wonder what your home life is like is all I can say. There was one time we were doing, you were teaching our school elective. I need to stop acting like people can see us because I'm pointing and no, no one can see us. That's an at you to get the film going. Um, <laughs> but one time you were doing a school elective and then this really, I'm not going to say her name, this uh, girl that uh, many people did not favor her company or enjoy her company. She left the room to go to the bathroom and you go, who doesn't like this girl? Raise your hand. Everyone in the whole classroom raises their hand. Who did that? You did. I and did. Then everyone I was never like, oh, the teacher's like, oh, you don't like her either. And then she comes back and we all were like, no one's going to say anything. I don't recall that ever happening. So I'm going to go ahead and just call bullshit. It was a small group. So I don't, it wasn't that, it wasn't like he was saying this in front of 50 children. Oh, there's no defense. I wasn't there, so I, I couldn't Well, no shit. You. I wouldn't have said it if you were in the room. Yeah, we were in his classroom. We were in the portable. I don't know where he was because he was the other teacher for that course. I know. Every time I had to show up and teach, he was never there. Yeah, that's so. so All right. So you had said that I was like Bender. Go on. Uh, the professor, Brian, which isn't an insult because I would put myself in the same Brian category. And I agree with you. Katie, I don't know you as well, but... I feel potentially you have a lot of Claire quality. Is it just because of the red hair? That, that doesn't hurt. Because I feel like that might be why you're identifying me with no. that. It's really because I don't, of your I don't see you as the misfit. I don't see you as kind of the loner. I see you every time I've ever seen you at like one of Professor's gatherings. Um, you've always got friends around you. I'm so popular. You're so conceited. You're a very outgoing person, so I, I can see that that you'd have very Claire qualities. All right, you're up, sir. Well, we already we've all definitively definitively determined that Katie is Claire. Uh, I, I think that John is Brian. I, I think that uh, Don, you have a tendency to have a little bit of Bender in your blood. And for me, I, I think that I have some characteristics of Allison 
and some yeah, characteristics of it. Brian. You called me out when I called you that. Yeah, because I, I, I don't think that I don't think it's as prevalent. I don't identify myself in any one of those characters, but no, yeah, I, I but, certainly ha- yeah. I certainly remember watching the movie in the theater, thinking, "Man, I remember feeling just like that." Sure, that's why this movie is so great because you can relate with how they feel, not necessarily their personalities. There you go. All right, uh, is there anything else you guys want to say before we rate this bitch? I do want to bring up that uh, there's not a whole lot of highly successful movies that take place in one location. And I guess in film terminology, that's called a chamber film. I didn't realize that. I just learned that. Um, Films that take place uh, primarily in one location. Can you name some other movies that were successful that pretty much consists in one location? Twelve Angry Men. That is probably the most famous. Can you name any, Don? The Room. What is the room? Yeah, it's not on your little list. Uh, the room was an Academy Award winning. Do you mean room? Room. What did I say? The room. What's the difference? Isn't one, one a horribly pan? No, 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 the no. It's room. the one with Brie Larson, and yeah, she gets yeah. she's trapped. Yeah, don't give it away. Why if we he, say we say spoilers? No, but if he's never, I just feel like uh, it's it's a drama. He will never watch it. Oh, you're not it, a drama. Does it no. have music in it? No, no. it doesn't actually. Damn. Or any or anybody in a cape, so I'm, I'm you're out. not going to enjoy it. Is no that capes. based on a true story? That movie? Yeah, it's loosely oh, based terrible. on that. Yeah. All right. Before we uh, go ahead and rate this bitch, uh, most rewatchable scene, Katie. Mm, probably the one where they all get high and they're going through her bag. Yeah. Uh, funny. Professor. Uh, the therapy session at the end. Yeah. You? What about you, Don? Uh, most rewatchable for me is probably the, um, probably the therapy, uh, therapy session at the end. I, I really like the bit where, uh, Anthony Michael Hall says, you know, are you even going to say hi to us on Monday? And they're like, no. Mm-hmm. And just the real and raw rawness of that scene, because that is so high school that it was, that really captured, uh, a lot of what they were trying to say in this film. And so, you know, uh, a lot of heart, a lot of emotion. And yeah, that's probably the most rewatchable John? scene for me. John, what about you? I'm, I'm guessing you guys would think that'd be the musical scene, but no, that was not the one that jumps out. The one that I always think well, about. They every- weren't singing. I know, but they're playing music. Do you like music? He, I, I, I think he doesn't understand the definition of musical anymore. I said either. the musical we'll scene. Go. But anyway, the uh, scene that always sticks with me that I go back to and I think about when I think about this movie is when Bender's getting all the detentions. Yeah, see, I think I'd have to change mine too. That's, I, that's I just pretty, thought, pretty, as I was pretty, saying that, I'm like, wait, that's, that's pretty. you right want on. another one? Yes. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and that's Ken, probably my favorite. Ken so. clarified it earlier. You know, what really gets me is when Vernon walks out the door and the door slams and you hear the fuck you. That's the one that sticks with me. Do we want to rate this? Yeah, let's yeah, go. Can you guys explain your rating? We rate on a scale of one to five. Five being the movie that you have just walked out of the theater and you say to yourself, man, I am ready to watch that movie again right now. Um. A one is a movie where you have seen it and you don't know if you're ever going to want to see that movie ever again. It's one and done. There is zero desire to ever see it again. A three is somewhere in the middle where you're saying to yourself, yeah, I'll watch that again. You don't know how soon, but you know, if somebody wants to fire it up, maybe someday you own the movie. And a zero? A zero is you are telling anybody that is within earshot that somebody owes you two hours of your life back. 
Have oh. you guys ever given a zero? Yes. I'm the, no, I'm the only one. Your father has. Is it on for Moulin Rouge? No. Because <laughs> he was telling anybody no. with an earshot that he hated that. No, I don't believe that was the one. What was no. it? I think it was the original Texas Chain or the no. uh, remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, wasn't oh. it? No, that was a point five. No, he gave uh, zero to the original Friday the Thirteenth. Correcto, <gasps> correcto mundo. It's like you guys are dating. So you, <laughs> so you would watch Moulin Rouge before Friday the Thirteenth? There you that go. is a bold statement, sir. I don't think I would. Though I, what did I give Moulin Rouge? Like a fucking one point five. You or guys something. all gave it you, under threes. Not me. Oh no, you loved it. Who wants to go first? I'll go. All right, hit us. I don't mind. So I I think that this is a movie that is very much a part of my uh, nostalgia of growing up. It is uh, it is one of the pillars, and I have a huge amount of nostalgia watching this movie. I think that it still works after all this time in how the uh, characters are developed. It feels a little awkward in today's settings with how much Bender is being sexually aggressive towards Claire. And so that does feel a little bit more awkward in today's settings. That that that, that is something that um, was more accepted back when the movie was made and not as accepted as it is now. So that, that does feel a, a little more awkward today. The characters develop, and I enjoyed immensely looking at um, the uh, stereotypes that Vernon can't get past when he looks at each one of these students, and yet these students are able to have one of the most satisfying uh, experiences, most likely, of their high school time, most likely, that I'm guessing that um, none of them will ever look at the library. These characters will never look at the library in the same way again because it was a very unique, special experience that they had with each other. Now, granted, we discussed it's probably not going to be lasting, but I I do feel a great sense of, um, I don't know if it's hope, but it's weird. You know, it's a Saturday morning detention, and yet, you know, at the end of the movie, you feel like that, you know, like some sort of a battle was won or something like that. You know, it's just what is up with that? And, you know, and, and, and the music playing at the end, it just feels so satisfying. And Bender being like, see you next Saturday, Carl. And having having this happen, it, it's just Saturday detention, though. And having that happen, it, it is it is just so uh, uplifting the way that, that the story ends. I, I get behind these characters wholeheartedly. And I really enjoyed uh, watching us being able to learn about each one of them. Uh, I I don't mind watching this movie. I, I think it's a, a solid four. There you go. A four from the professor. Go ahead. Okay. Anyway, I have to agree with the professor 100%. The, the nostalgia level of this film um, has just have has staying power in that it doesn't matter if you saw it the first time in 1985 you saw it last week. It still has the same effect. You still enjoy it, I think, just as much as the first time you saw it. Um, it also, I feel like, even like the fir- from the first time you saw this movie, it has so much quotable dialogue that everybody seems to know a quote from this movie. Even if they haven't seen the movie, you can say a quote and they'll know what movie it came from. I'm ha- I was having a little trouble figuring out what exactly my rating would be on this in that this is not a movie that I want to rush out and watch all the time. 
But if you put it on or I find it on TV, um, I don't know if I'd watch the edited version on TV, but if, if I have the opportunity to see it, I'm going to watch it. Uh, I'm really glad we got this submission because I enjoyed watching it again. I've probably seen this movie dozens of times. And again, I enjoyed it just as much this time as I did you know, the first few times. Professor, you brought up a great point of some of the things don't work so well in this day and age. And with the Me Too movement, Molly Ringwald did an interview in which she said that she regrets a lot of the scenes in this movie. You know, there was sexual harassment. There was that scene under the table, you know, whether it was, you know, a stunt double or not. People assumed it happened to Claire. And that would have been something that would have actually gotten Bender expelled in this day and age. He would have been, had charges pressed against him. Um, so there was a lot of that going on. That's a little bit iffy, but everything else in the movie is just magic. So like I said, I don't know if I would watch this movie all the time, but I would never turn down watching it. So I'm going to go with Professor's 4.0, and I'm also giving it a 4. Oh, there you go. Do you have a rating for this? Five. Okay, you're going to give it a five, uh-huh. but you've seen it three times. Uh-huh. I don't think that matters. I think the fact that if you love it that much, it doesn't matter how many times also, you've seen it. Yeah, it's because it's like I don't have access to it. It wasn't on any streaming services. Oh, no. you. I'm sorry, Claire. Did you actually have to go and rent it? No, or I pirated some... it because I was locked in my mom's <gasps> Amazon account. You know what I would like? Is I would... She changes the password because I will press purchase on items she did not approve. <laughs> Uh, Katie, why do you give this movie a five? I'm so glad you asked, comic book guy. John. Now I'm feeling respected. <laughs> He's like feeling his like, sweatshirt. I think I'd give it a five because no matter, like when I, and it's, I, I am surprised that I haven't seen it in so long. So I think it is strange that I like it how, how much I do. And I haven't watched it that many times. Um, if it was at more at my fingertips, I would have seen it more times. I just think I love movies like this where there's no action and there's no over-the-top Marvel crap because it really emphasizes the writing and the storytelling and you don't need that much for a good story. I just like feel so overwhelmed by so many of the films in today's media that this is just so refreshing because it's so bare boned and it's that good. And there's something for everybody. And I like, I love the characters. I love the music. What's not to like? Well, there you go. All right. So, uh, thank you for your five rating. Uh, it won't go into the overall rating, but it's nice to know that, you know, it's nice to know what you think. So, and it might influence you. It doesn't. Um, okay, so my rating of The Breakfast Club, 1985, start of the Brat Pack, uh, the soundtrack, uh, the writing. The writing uh, is outstanding, and the message of the film uh, is timeless, like we had said. Yes, there are some things that do not age well, but you're going to get that when you go back and look at uh, the films from the 80s, 90s, and probably even the early 2000s, right? Um, so that's always going to be a factor, and that's always going to uh, play into how well the film plays even uh that being said even with these uh iffy moments of the film sure you feel uncomfortable for a moment or two but the writing will pull you back in and we keep progressing along Uh, i felt the film was very well paced and again i was surprised that it came in at an hour and a half right 
simple the simple minds tune and just the uh, few tracks that they did use for this uh film i think they all work in uh every way uh they, they were perfectly cast um you know if if we were talking about who could play uh who back then you you um there's a list of actors and blah 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 but it wouldn't have been the same movie uh if you were casting it now today if they remade this movie i'd be very disappointed there are certain films i feel like in history should never be remade ever and I do believe that the breakfast club is one of them. Yes, it is relatable. Yes, they probably could update it, but the message in the core would all stay the same, right? Back to the future is another one. And of course, Jaws. So, um, that all being said, I am going to give the breakfast club a 4.5 because it is, uh, in one of my, in my top 10. So there you go. Not to interrupt you. Cause are you, are you done? I was just going to interrupt. Go ahead, Katie. I was just going to say, I think I might have to add in, uh, I just forgot how great a movie Back to the Future is, so that might be in my top three over Step Brothers. But Step Brothers is so funny. You don't say that. <laughs> See, I was surprised you didn't include Back to the yeah, Future. I kind of forgot it. Ex- I just watched Step Brothers, that's why. So It's fresh in your yeah, head. Yeah. All right, so now comes the time in our podcast where we are going to select our next film. Um, Can I do it? I was just going to say, Katie, would you like to select the next film? Of course. All right, so go ahead and give that a shake. Uh, This is going to be our fourth uh, fan pick, and we are pulling out... Trent 90's Zach. What's it say? Trent 90s Zach. Is oh, that, is that no. the, the list? Zach has submitted it? Zach is submitted Trent it. No, what, what is the uh, letters? T R E M. T M N T. Yes. What? He wants us Which to do one? The one from the 90s. The first really? one. Yeah. The Teenage Mutant, Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Turtles, the oh. original. All right, so thanks to our true believer, Zach, for recommending the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990. Uh, hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us at most popular and even a few unpopular podcasting hosting sites, including Spotify, iTunes. We are on every place that I can find to put us. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Tumblr. We're not quite yet on TikTok, but I feel like that might change soon. Uh, I believe that is all the places they can find us. All right. So there you have it. I just want to thanks again to Tatiana for uh, recommending The Breakfast Club. We had a lot of fun uh, reviewing that. Thanks to Katie for coming on to our show. Thank you for letting me be on the podcast. This was such a blast. That's going to wrap it up for Three Guys in a Flick. I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. We'll see all of you next Saturday. And I'm Katie. Thanks for listening. It's a, a solid four. There you go. A four from the professor. We don't interrupt the ratings, young lady, Wait, because it always, it takes these two 12 minutes a piece. Ask me how I know that. 
I know that because I have to edit these motherfuckers and I have to listen to this shit all the fucking time. So we do not interrupt the ratings. Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Usually what I do is I just whisper, asshole. Asshole. Yeah. You, you need to You need to start listening to more of them because we I start to argue more. I know you don't listen to all of them. How That's why I said. That? I interrupt all the time and yeah. he gives me the same lecture. Yeah. It's hard not to interrupt. No, it's not. It's pretty fucking easy. It's called closing your mouth. The Breakfast Club. We had a lot of fun uh, reviewing that. Thanks to Katie for coming on to our show and living. And now playing with her phone. Uh, totally. And did you just hear the fucking? Thing. I have to edit all this shit. It's bad enough. I have to edit your father, and it's bad enough that I'm I have sorry. to edit Kate. Uh, edit this fucker over here. Now I got to edit you too. I'm sorry. You're fucking killing me, as per fucking all, always. You're fucking killing me. Asshole. Oh my god, where was I?